Hello listeners, and welcome back to This Week in Black History, Society, and Culture, a podcast of Black and African Diaspora Forum of Mama University. I'm Hedy Beaver, your host. Today on This Week in Black History, Society, and Culture, we have Dr. Vernon Smith, Assistant Professor in the Department of Educational Counseling and Leadership, and Assistant Director of the Social Justice Academy at Monmouth University. Welcome to the show, Dr. Smith. Thank you. Uh, thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to be here, hanging out with great people like yourself, Dr. Williams. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about empowering young Black males. It's such an important topic, especially in light of the events at the University of Virginia, such a tragic event involving several you know, black males and um, just an unfortunate incident. But we want to hear what you have to say on this topic in the American context, but the larger African diaspora as well, and why why you feel this is such an important subject matter that we um, should be talking about. So first, we'll discuss Dr. Smith's uh, background, his, uh, you know, teaching and research interests, but also more importantly, this topic of mentoring and um, leadership. So tell us a little bit about your teaching and research uh, interests, Professor. Well, um, my research and teaching, and I guess my service, right, professional service really centers around diversity, inclusion, and social justice advocacy on a broader perspective. But I'm primarily interested in in really working to lift the voices of black males, in particular centered around access, retention, and um, opportunities, also working with first-gen students and the like. So I've also um, focused a lot on parenting and parent involvement in that aspect and working with this community and doing this work not from a deficit perspective as so many researchers have done in the past, but really doing this work from a strength-based perspective where we're actually bringing forward the voices of, of, of our young Black males and really centering them in regards to the greatness and the possibilities for our young men. I think um, for so long we've been hearing so much negative that even as a community, we began to you know create this hopelessness, right? in terms of what, right. what we're finding as it relates to academic academics on their um, achievement. And so that really drove me in terms of my research in this area as a black man and living, you know, living this. And I, I just got tired of hearing those messages. And I'm like, hey, it's about time we start to speak about what great things young black males are doing. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so personally and professionally, you know, it impacts me. So I wanted to lift those voices up from that perspective. And trust me, I've had people from all kinds of sides, even within our black community, say, why do you want to do research in that area? You know, you, your work will just be the black man crying about the black man. And I say, no, but if we don't lift, if, if I don't write it, who will write it? You know, sure. who's going to share our stories? Mm-hmm. And so sure. that's my drive. That's my motivation just to um, continue to highlight, support, undergird, and really mentor the next generation of leaders within our community. So you mentioned personal experience, and I'm wondering, I always think I'd like to ask this question to whoever comes on this show about what led them to study their particular area of expertise you know, did you know when you arrived on campus as an undergrad that you were going to study, you know, educational counseling, leadership, or was it more of a journey where you decided, you know, by the time you were in second, third year, or or even graduate school, where you were going to focus your area of expertise? How did you get involved in this study of this topic? Well, that is, that's, an, I, I, that's an interesting question, right? And mm-hmm. just looking at my life journey, um, I grew up in the Bahamas. I grew up in a community, in a nation where all my leaders were black, right? Mm-hmm. And 
predominantly black country. And so growing up there and then transitioning um, to the U.S. and high school in Alabama, it's where I had a rude awakening. Mm. And um, Montgomery, Alabama, I went to high school and my parents and friends would always say, man, even with the police, they said, listen, if you see the police, you better run because they're either going to beat you or they're going to put some kind of crime on you. And I didn't understand that because I didn't grow up with that. And I was like, man, I got tired of running. I'm like, I'm not a criminal. Mm. But as I began to reflect back on uh, on that experience and, and realizing that, wow, that was the lived experience of my, my peers. That's what they grew up with. To survive, they had to run. I started wow. to run because I was in that community and not understanding it. And then I started to experience it where we'd be followed around, tracked in stores as if we were criminals, you know? And I, and I, and I think from there, um, I went on, I wanted to study engineering, believe it or not, Eddie, I wanted to be an engineer. Interesting. I, I was pretty good math student, pretty good in science. Matter of fact, I think I finished at the top of my class out there in Alabama. But the interesting thing was, um, The institutions that I was receiving scholarships and opportunities to didn't have a full engineering program. So I would have had to transfer all over the place. And then I realized, you know, is this really my passion? Am I really desirous of doing this? And, um, you know, you come to some conclusions, right? Why are you doing this? Right. And, I, and I think at the time, engineering was that, that great thing, right? That, that, that opportunity, you can make a lot of money be successful. But my passion wasn't there. And it wasn't until I took my first um, psych class, my intro to psychology class. And during that class, I came to realize that, wow, you know what? All my life, my friends came to me, came to me to help them resolve their issues, problems, crises, everything, right? They really confided mm-hmm. in me a whole lot. And I realized that I was already being that kind of vessel and support. And so the light bulb just came on for me as it relates to psych and counseling. And so I found my passion. And so mm-hmm. I completed my undergraduate in psych, went on, um, completed a master's in marriage and family therapy, while working in residential treatment centers, young men and families and and young ladies as well. And so that just drove me in my work and I continues work setting up programs back in the Bahamas. I went back to the Bahamas for several years um, in the high schools, promoting support systems for young black males, you know, who were in crisis. And so that just followed me. So when I came uh, to complete my PhD, I came with that focus, like, this is what I want to do. I want to be able to um, contribute to our, our black males in terms of just supporting them because I saw the kids that I was able to help graduate from high school who folks had given up on, didn't expect anything from them. But creating that belonging and that, that community and togetherness and really mentoring those young men, you know, some of them have gone on to be great. Um, doing great things within their communities and in our society. So that was hope for me. And I realized that this is the work that I really want want to be doing and I'm passionate about. Yeah, you're living proof that representation matters in, in, in these spaces, you know, in front of the classroom, whether it be in STEM or counseling. Yes. And it's just... You know, that means so much to these uh, young people to see someone that looks like them who's helping and supporting them, you know, the power of that. Indeed. So I want to go back for a minute just to this point you made. First of all, what you said, you know, about your experience in uh, Montgomery, that your peers, in order to survive, they had learned that they had to run to survive. That's some powerful words, Vernon. Yeah. Wow. That's, you know, something, I think. 
And you know, Hattie, can I just tap in there? Sure. So I don't know if you remember the incident the other day at the, Mac- the McDonald's, the young man that was shot by the police. There's so many stories. Ago, but, I, okay. you know, I had the opportunity to, to share with one of my colleagues and a uh, white female and just talking about, and she's like, man, I don't understand it, why they feel like they have to run. And I'm like, because I, if we don't run, that's survival. That's what we know. And I shared mm-hmm. my story. And she, and she was like, that was like a rude awakening for her and recognizing like, cause she always wondered, right? Like why they don't mm-hmm. just stop. If you stop, you die. <laughs> if you stop, you go to yeah. jail. If you stop, you're beaten. So that great fear, right? The sense of survival, it would fight or flight. And so right. if you learn to run and that's the lived experience of a young man, that's the distrust, right? That's in our communities as it relates to um, law enforcement. And so that is also an important piece, right? How do we bridge that gap? How do we um, create that connectedness and and build that trust again and and really bring down some of these systems of disparities and also expose and help persons to really deal with their own stuff, right? Because we all have our stuff. And we all have our biases, stereotypes, whatever that is. And unless we begin to face those and be honest with ourselves, in tough situations, those things flare up. And you can't guard yourself. Like you can guard yourself in other ways of of saying the right thing. But in crisis, those implicit and explicit biases show up. And that's what's harming our young men. And so that's why we need to change the narrative, right? Right. We need to begin to help the community, the media, to start focusing on the positive, the great things that young black males are doing within our society. Yeah, I think you make a great point here, too, because oftentimes, even as teachers, sometimes, you know, when we're grading papers, we look at the things that the student did wrong and we say, well, you know, you didn't do this or you didn't do that. Um, but if we start with what they did right in the assignment, oh, yeah. or if we start with the, everybody has some good in, in them, right? What they did right. Let's start there. Then we can address, right, um, the issues at hand. But I think that's such an important uh, point. Indeed. You know, to talk about. So when you were considering engineering, you were doing good in these math and science class. That I want to go back to that just for a minute. Did you feel supported in that in that discipline, even in you know when you were in high school doing really well in these classes? Um, was it something that was encouraged? You know, did somebody say, "Hey, Vernon, you're really good at math and you're really good at science"? Well, you I know, did. You should be an engineer. I, I did. I did have. Um, again, I grew up in a society of majority persons of color, right? And mm-hmm. so I was supported. I was encouraged. And um, by my teachers. And so, yeah, I was. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you did have that support because that matters in terms of how well we perform in courses. Right. And, you know, when yeah. I went to Alabama, my teachers there were also it was a it was a black school. It was a private mm-hmm. black school. <laughs> so, you know, the excitement, the support around my success was important to our community. So. Yes, I, I felt supported round and round because I was surrounded by people who look like me, you know, and were interested in my success. Right, invested in you doing well in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go. So that leads us into our next question about mentors. Uh, did you care to talk about any of those, maybe the mentors that were in those uh, schools? Or, you know, in your journey overall, um, tell us about the mentors in your own life and who in particular might stand out. Going back, was a real, I guess my young, 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 young days. <laughs> um, one of my mentors um, who actually went on, he was a police officer. He was also a um, school counselor. Um all the way back in the Bahamas, he would always be interested in furthering his education, 
And, and that, that really was a motivation for me to recognize that, you know what, I can do this one day. College isn't a thing that I, I won't be able to do. Right. But there was some self-doubt. And I'd say coming up through high school, um, in my early years, you know, sometimes you drift, not as focused. Mm-hmm. But it was people like, like him that that believed in me and continued to encourage me and really pushed me and also modeled that for me, right? So he was modeling the kinds of things that I realized that in my future I wanted to to be able to accomplish. And so seeing him go off to school and, and make a difference, I think that that was the start for me in terms of higher education. So I'm in, in my family, you know, I'm a first generation mm. um, college student, first generation faculty, all of the above. Yeah, your work with the first generation program, I think it's you're absolutely right. It's important for these first generation students to see others who were the first to know that they can make it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's huge. Yep. So let's turn to your program. Tell us the name of your program, how you started it, you know, when it started. Tell us a little bit about it. So the Empowering Young Black Males Leadership Mentoring Program, long name, Mm -hmm. Um, short acronym, we just use EYBM, um, which really came out of my research as it relates to parent involvement and student success. And again, figuring out ways to how we can support because you know what we can't determine who our parents are but you know what we can we can determine who pour into our lives and i realize that for some students there are gaps right who are the people that they're surrounded and supported by and so mentoring was another opportunity to provide another resource and support for our, our young men um Somebody that will be able to speak into your life, be able to support you with your dreams, possibilities, and really inspire you. And at the same time, help to point you in the direction of whatever resources and support uh, you may need. And that's in your personal life as well as academic life, right? And so this program actually is a tri-partnership program. Mm -hmm. Um, We collaborate with... um, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Coastal and Northern New Jersey, which is a a national program, right? Big Brothers, Big Sisters mentoring program. And so the whole idea behind that was if I could connect with them, and I'll be honest with you, Project BAM was also a model for me because I'm like, you know, if I could connect with Big Brothers, Big Sisters, they already have the resources in terms of setting up, um, doing all background research, connecting. And I was looking at schools that I could connect with to help support. And so Neptune High School came up. And so when I connected Big Brothers, Big Sisters, you know, and thinking about schools within the, our community who were serving, right, as Mama right. University, and we agreed with Neptune. And so it was a partnership that was formed, and we developed the program. You know, I had the program. I shared it with them, what I wanted to do with our young black males. And they were excited about it, you know, because they saw my passion and know that, that this was a population, actually, that's limited in terms of finding mentors, black male mentors within our communities to help mentor these young men. Yeah, I, I I think that's so important. That is a question I have about the criteria for a mentor and what makes a good mentor is one of one of my questions for you. But uh, we we can get to that in a minute. But what I want to know is, so you serve the population of Neptune, Neptune, I guess, public schools, Neptune High School, and Neptune High School. Yeah. So do you pair the students with faculty from Monmouth or is it more community based? So the program is set up to create access and retention for also a Monmouth community. You know, we're a predominantly white institution, but we have a number of black males on campus 
Sure. And, and that sense of belonging is a gap. Right. And so I wanted to create an opportunity where a young man from Monmouth, which will be close in age to the, those pairs at the Neptune High School, in terms of that inspiration to see that they're there, they're performing. So I really paired them with our students, our black male mm-hmm. students on campus. They're the mentors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because again, and also serving as a mentor, you also grow. You grow in your yes. leadership skills. You grow in terms of your own academic performance. And you're inspired, right? But it also, this you know, this creates like yesterday sitting in the room, with almost 30 plus young men. It's just exciting, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like yes. that community is like that, that sense of we're here together and we're having a great time as we grow together. So, so I wanted to also help to support our young men in the sense of belonging on campus at Monmouth and retention at Monmouth while also creating access and retention for our students from Neptune High School. So to increase our graduation rates, to increase opportunities for those students coming out of Neptune, whether it's coming to Monmouth as a student or even pursuing higher education or even a, a career in, in a vocational area, but to create those opportunities and the possibilities that would be there and them seeing it in, in, in young men that were not too far removed from where they sit right now in those high school seats. That is amazing that you you just mentioned, you know, a room of 30 students. And I mean, that sounds like a very successful uh, initiative to be able to get that many students to commit <laughs> to meeting and let alone being in the room together, you know, at, at in terms of that number. Well, of, that's um, a fall off because since COVID, that's a fall off. When we first wow. launched this program in... 2019, mm-hmm. the goal is 25 to 25 one to one mentoring. And so when we launched the program, we had 50. That's me. That is me. So number. I'm trying to get back there, but COVID has really <laughs> impacted us and just trying to get that energy again. So this is our sure. first year back fully. Okay. On campus again since COVID. And so trying to build a momentum again. But right. you can imagine that, yes. It's and nice. the fact that you could find 30 students from Monmouth to pair with the Neptune students. Yeah. You know, I, I, that's still an important uh, achievement, I think. That, that was then. So right now we're at probably, um, we're lower in terms of our, our mentors. And I hope to, mm-hmm. and maybe this will help to inspire and also faculty could help with outreach to getting so people Vernon, more excited us, to be on board. Yeah, tell us how, for instance, a new faculty member wants to get involved in your group. You know, how, you know, when are the meetings? How would they uh, get in contact with you or get involved? So you can always send me an email, but our, our program meets um, like every other Tuesdays, so we meet probably bi-weekly in a month. Um, on a Tuesday from 11, usually the high school students get there about 11, 20, 11, 30. Okay. And we go until about 12, 45 before they reload the bus. So the program is set up where our students are able, we want them to be able to come in, be relaxed, enjoy a nice hot meal together. So that connectedness, mm-hmm. so mentors and mentees are able to freely engage, connect, talk, share, um, whatever. And then the second part of our program may be centered on some kind of workshop, um, maybe a panel, um, those kinds of things, tour of the campus, um, different facilities. And so working on goal setting. So more specific programming on the second part. But the first part is that whole connecting and getting together and sharing. And so our mentors will meet with their mentees at the table. They'll eat together and make those connections. Uh, you know, let me um, also ask you something, because I'm, I'm glad you're telling a little, little bit about how 
you when and how you meet, but your initiatives. I remember seeing either it was either a flyer or maybe you sent out an email to the campus. You had this program. It was two or three years ago, if I recall, where you had the students and the mentors get together and it was, uh, you know, ties. I think you either had a donation of ties. Uh-huh. And then there was also a part where you were showing the young men how to um, tie, you know, to put the ties on. Yes. Tell, tell me about that. I thought that was beautiful. I said, man, yeah. this is great. It, that is one of our, um, one of the programming that takes place. We call it Dress for Success. Okay. And um, Dr. Branch, Dr. Ford really helped as well. Dr. Branch in the long year with Dr. Ford, um, David Ford really being helpful with that aspect. I always called Dr. Ford, Mr. Bowtie, because... Yes, he dressed for success all the time. That's right. And so um, it's really inspiring. So we got a lot of donations of ties and everything else and bow ties for the young men and then being able to to teach them about, you know, dressing and etiquette and all those kinds of things and really um, helping them to understand how, you know, growing up, Somebody didn't teach you how to tie a necktie, just to know how to do it. So, sure. you know, if we're going to create possibilities within our communities, the way we, you know, dress codes and everything else, yeah, I say, you know, we don't always have to wear a tie, but there may come a time when they need to. And so, you know, helping them to be able to do that and the donations have been great. I still have ties. So every year, we roll those over and we continue to take donations. So, okay, you know, it's a great offer. If anybody, if anybody wants to donate, uh, should they just send those to you, Vernon, or they can send them to me? Okay, that's that's great. I, I love that. It just uh, and not just the fact that you're getting young people to learn how to create a tie, but it's there's a bonding yep. that's happening. Yes, indeed. And, and you're sharing some knowledge, right? Sure. And, and I'm talking also about the barriers around that, right? And 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 terms of dress and and the challenges that we may face when we go out there to interview for job opportunities or college opportunities. So we get to talk about all those things. We get to talk about systemic barriers. We get to talk about that stuff, you know. Yeah, it's it's important because. If someone were to show up to a job interview with a T-shirt and a pair of shorts on, right, nobody ever told them, if nobody ever tells you that there's a such thing as professional dress or, you know, recommend to a young person going on a job interview, because um, I've had friends, you know, in undergraduate school, when I was an undergrad, you know, we were all graduating and going off to interviews. And I remember saying to myself, well, maybe you should wear a different outfit. <laughs> because nobody had ever told them. They'd turn around and say, nobody ever told me. What, what's wrong with what I have on? I'm comfortable in it. Mm-hmm. Right? But when you see a person of color arrive at an interview who's dressed a certain way, like you say, the systemic bias that goes along with, you know, professional settings. I mean, it's important. Yes, indeed. So what are some other other events that you've uh, done with this group? And I know notice that leadership is in the title. What are some leadership les- lessons and our workshops uh, that you've done over the years with the group? So part of um, really, truly developing a good leader is also self, self-awareness, right? And, and really your own identity and goals and values. I think that's the foundation in getting started. And then we move into possibilities and in terms of talking about opportunities where you're leading. Because we always think of leaders as a leadership as a position, right? Mm-hmm. But leadership sure. is beyond just having a position. It's your disposition, you know? Sure. It, 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 it's mm-hmm. the representation. I always smile. My wife always says to me, you know, you're not the leader of these programs, but people are always calling you. Why are they always calling you? I said, I don't know. Maybe it's just what I do. And I think a part of helping young men to see that there's leadership in everything, just sitting in that classroom, how are you leading? How are you representing? 
And so helping them to build on that and to see that it's not true position, but true leadership is really service-based and servant-oriented. You know, mm. my, my compassion, my desire to really help my peers grow and rise. And so yesterday we're talking about identity and goals and just asking around. And one of the young men, I asked him, right, because I put him on the spot. We talk. We keep it real. And I said to him, I said, um, so what's unique about you? And it's so easy for us to see the negative about ourselves because we have been taught, we've been told that for so long, right? Yes. And so even within the room, it's this challenge of, wow, you know, what is unique and what am I great at? And so trying to tease that out, recognizing, you know what? You bring a sense of joy to the room. And, have, and just hearing that and, 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 and just being able to hone into the fact that you create an atmosphere where people can feel happy to laugh, mm-hmm. to be comfortable. And again, if we don't see that from a strength base, we will see it as you're disruptive, you're the clown. Sure. You see? Mm-hmm. But you know what? A lot of our kids grow up and are growing up with a lot of trauma. A lot of our young men, to be honest with you, you're talking about post-traumatic stress. They're seeing it. They're living it. And so being able to create their own environment where they can laugh and smile, sometimes that's an important piece to their own health and resiliency in the midst of what they're going through. And so we need to be able to meet our students where they are. No, I totally agree. I think especially in this COVID era, where many of these young black youth have been orphaned. Yes. And people don't realize it. Yeah. So dealing with that and lost two parents, some of these young students have lost two parents, not just one to COVID, but two. And so it's been, you know, these last couple of years and the fact that you said in the last three years, you're still maintaining the numbers um, for a mentoring program, 30 is great. I think that's phenomenal to be able to at least um, hold the that number of uh, people involved. I think that's a testament to your own leadership, well, uh, really, well, especially at a predominantly white institution. And I think, too, Hattie, the, um, the young men from the high school, they're really eager and excited to, to, to come. You know, they really want to be here. And that and that's the piece that really inspires me that you know what? They're going out their way. Right. To come and spend some time with us. And so you know, I I'm trying to encourage our young men on campus to get back excited and moving forward. And um seeing how the you know, the possibilities of this is not just for those young men, but it also helps them because we talk about all kinds of things. We talk about health. We talk about um, decision-making. We talk about even conflict management, right? Mm-hmm. And all those pieces, assertiveness training. How do we get what we want in a way? How do we build our lives, right? Sure. And how do we connect with others? Because there's a sense sometimes that we do go in isolation. We, you know, let's be honest. We don't trust a lot of people. True. And, and and it's our lived experiences, right? Because that's survival. We know we can't trust everybody. But there comes a time when we got to bridge that gap and we have to be able to recognize those persons who are willing and sincerely interested in pouring into our lives and helping us. Well, not even helping, but coming alongside us with our journey, you know? So how have you measured, so several years now into this program, how have you measured or thought about measuring the success? For instance, students who came, say, as sophomores from the high school, you know, three years later now, have you had a, a way to kind of trace and track, you know, where these students are? Like, where are they now? Or 
some way to measure what impact the program had on them. So, so the interesting thing is <laughs> three years, but it ain't three because of COVID, right? All right, sure, so, sure. So we've been knocked off in some ways. And um, matter of fact, the process now of finalizing the IRB so we can actually formally collect data because we have anecdotal data that we've collected sure. and, and mm-hmm. feedback from the students who are also recommending the program to their peers. So we have, we have an oversubscription now <laughs> students coming from mm-hmm. high school. So that's in the process. And I hope to actually um, get that finalized and collect some data by spring. Now that we're back for a full year of programming. Sure. Now, do you have an end of year event for the um, students? Like, do you have some type of banquet or, well, you know, closing year event? There are a couple of things that happens in the spring for us. Because I'm only working with Neptune High School, right. I've been called reached out to by a number of different schools, leaders within the community for opportunities for their young men. That's success right there. Yeah. So (laughs) what I've done, um, I piloted before I started this program, a summit, and we call it Empowering Young Black Males Summit that we run every March. And so in March, on March 25th, this year, I mean, next year, we will host our third um, Empowering Young Black Males Summit. Matter of fact, our last summit happened the weekend right before the university closed down for COVID in 2020, okay. Okay. in which we had um, close to 80 plus people there That's great. Um, from all over New Jersey, all the way up from Montclair. We had groups that came to our campus for the Empowering Young Black Male Summit. What, you know, being a marriage and family kind of guy and my thinking is always systems approach was also to engage and have those young men to bring their parents along or some guardian, somebody that will, um, who's poured into their life and continue to, to be that vessel of support. And so we're looking forward to, to that again this spring, just to be able to provide even more for our community and a broader audience. That's great. I just, um, last few questions here, Vernon. I want to ask you about the challenges, because we know young uh, Black males face a lot of challenges in society. So I want you Talk a little bit about what you think is one of the major obstacles or challenges uh, that this community faces. But um, then tell us a little bit about what makes a good mentor, because I'm wondering if you do have some sort of selection process when you put select the students on our own campus. Right. If a student's mature enough to be a mentor, like what are the things you look for, you know, when you decide, okay, these 20 students right here will be great mentors. But what do you see as the challenges? What's the greatest challenge, you know, facing this community at the at the present, would you say? I think one of the greatest challenges for a young man I think it, it really centers around self-doubt. Mm. And with that comes all the other stuff, right? Sure. Because if I don't believe in myself, if I don't see the possibilities and hope and the sense of hope, and I think that is that is the piece, right? Because some of our young men don't believe that they're going to live that long. Mm. And so they have to live in the present. So seeing the future... I can't tell you about tomorrow, God. That's sad, Vernon. It is. You're dropping some knowledge here. It is really sad. And so how do we create a sense of hope, a sense of possibilities in the midst of living in self-doubt? Sure. Pessimistic times. Yeah. And I think that's the heaviness, right? 
And yes. so that's why this program is centered on, like you said, even within the classroom, how are our teachers talking to our young men? Hattie, I'm going to drop something on you. I was in my PhD program. Mm-hmm. We had an assignment. I completed the assignment. Matter of fact, my partner and I, and my partner wasn't doing well, and I completed the assignment, did most of the work for it. But you know what? When we were graded and we presented it, you know that faculty had the heart. I asked my colleague, what was my contribution? Wow. Matter of fact, even decided to give me a lower grade than my partner when I did all the work. That's terrible. You see how biases step in? Sure. Because as a black Mm -hmm. man, I wasn't supposed to be intelligent. As a black man, I wasn't supposed to be able to do good work. As a black man, I was supposed to be lazy, Mm -hmm. not productive. And so that faculty allowed her biases to get right in the way. But you know what? I'm glad it happened because I'm able to share these stories with my students so they can recognize that we got our stuff to work on. If we don't, it gets in the way and it hurts other students. And so if we're going to create the sense of hope, we got to bring people along, right? And so, yeah, we want mentors who who are doing this, right? But we also want mentors who are real to say, listen, yeah, I've had hard times too. I've struggled. And to be honest and real with our students, I share my failure with my students. Yeah, I think we have to. Because it lets them know that you don't have to be perfect. That's right. And it ain't where you start, where you you going, right? It's a journey. Mm -hmm. And so I want to create the sense of hope. And that's what good mentors are able to do. And I try to model that for our mentors so that they can also model it for their mentees. Sure. You know? But again, we all growing because we're there together. I'm also learning from them every day that we come together. Sure. I learn from my students all the time, and I say that. All the time, Hetty. Absolutely. I mean, Dr. Williams. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're good. I know you for a while, Vernon. It's all right. <laughs> um, so the tragic events at University of Virginia, if we could touch on that just for a minute, because we have this phrase at risk, right? Mm. And unfortunately, we tend to use that label and apply it to black male students, mm-hmm. right? So I think given these the latest events where these um, three young promising black male students, black male youth, was shot by another black student. And I, I, I just saw the interview of the young man who allegedly did, you know, the shooting, his father was interviewed mm-hmm. and the reporter said, well, why, what do you think happened with your son? And he said, all I know, he's like, I don't know why my son did this, but all I know is my son was being bullied mm-hmm. and my son was being attacked. I don't know who was doing it or why it was happening to him. And that, I mean, it just threw me for a loop for a minute because what I try to do when these stories come out, I try to avoid, you know, black pain, right? Mm. It's just too much. It's too weighty. So we tend to use this label at risk, right? So how do we, like, how do we approach that label or or that student, right? Quote, unquote, has this quote, um, at risk, you know? Um, what will you say is the most effective way to reach a young person that might have been given this label? I like your point about hope. How do you give this young man hope? Hetty, um, <laughs> Dr. Williams. Hetty, Vernon Hetty, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, Vernon yeah, Hetty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is tragic because I think yeah. about not just three lives being taken, but the fourth one, his life. Yes, yes, you know, sure. That's a lost our society. Promising young man. In college. In college. 
And I think it comes back to and I heard the thought of it with this sense of um, you know, the bullying and everything else. And I think that is why it's so important to have our students connected. Yeah. Not only connected, so that they know that they can turn to somebody. Sure. Yeah. Express their feelings. Yeah. If this young man was suffering and going through this, who was he talking to? Yes. We cannot allow a young man to go through this world in isolation. And that's why programs like mine are so important. I agree. Because our young men on our campus feel isolated as black males in predominantly white spaces with a lot of distrust. So I'm not, I'm not sure of his history, and I don't know if he's ever gone to counseling. Right. Or if somebody was able to just say, you know what? What you're experiencing right now is not fair, is not right. If you're feeling that you're being bullied, we need to be able to talk to somebody. I don't know if that happened. Right. No intervention. I don't know. What was the intervention? You know, and a way of preventing situations like this. Yeah. And I would say um, sometimes we work on the academic side in terms of student athlete, but we forget the student athlete development side. Sure. As a person. Right. Their emotional students actually embrace it, you know. When I worked at the University of South Florida with our student-athletes, we had a program that was just geared towards student-athlete development. Because we were able to identify the things that, situations that they're going through, they were able to identify people they can talk with, be able to refer them. Um, Even within our program, in that program, they had their own... um, psychologists and person that they can talk with, right? But we need to be able to surround our young men. You know, we recruit them, but how do we help them grow? Yes. How do we help them grow? And how do we create a community of support for them? And that's why I like working with us. Do not leave several of them mentor for me. And I'm connected. A lot of work with the football and some of the basketball guys. But I want to even be able to do more on our campus in terms of that connection because sometimes they feel hopeless. Yes. You know, I I think about that young man, right? He was actually a student athlete from the story. Right. Right. And the three who were shot were also on the, the, I believe they were all on the football team. team. Yep. Yeah. But I understand that this young man got. Um, suffered a major injury. Mm. And perhaps again, though, hope, future, dashed. Yeah. You know? Four lives, four lives destroyed. So think so about sad. bullying, if that was happening, on top of his own loss and grief. Sure from not being able to play the sport that he's played all his life and the dreams that he had for himself. It sounded to me, and I'm looking at this for a man, a young man to make such a decision. It's tragic. Yeah. He felt hopeless. That's your point about hope. Yes. Yeah. That's just a great way to put it. Um, Give these young people hope. And the fact that, like you said, most of them believe they're going to die young. Yep. And so there's not much time, right? Uh, and whatever it is they're going to accomplish, they already mm-hmm. feel that they have a short short frame of reference. But as we come to a conclusion here, uh, Vernon, I want to thank you so much for sharing this story. And um, tell us how to get involved. How do we contact you and or and or donate ties or any other forms of donations that you are, you know, hoping for this group? This this program sounds like it needs to be on every college campus, to be honest, or connections to 
college and high school, this bridge between the high school and the college seems like it should be replicated to me. Mm. Yeah. Um, Hattie, before I give you that information, I just want to say um, when I worked as a college counselor, mm-hmm. I realized that I couldn't stay in my office. I had to be in the community. I had to sure. get connected with the community. And so I walked a lot. I connected with young men across campus, seeking out. When you see persons alone and groups of persons, you recognize that they may not have a lot of support. How do we reach out to them? Because our young men are afraid of going to a counselor, right? Yes, you know, stigma. The stigma about it. And so the only way to break that is for them to see you as a person. Right. And for them, and sometimes for us also, to take them and walk with them and connect them with the people that they need to get the help that they need. And so that's why we need to build a community. The community that would also help them to feel a sense of hope and to see possibilities. And so... Yeah, we need to continue this work. And my, I guess you, they can always send me an email, vsmith at mama.edu. Okay. Um, if you're on campus, I'm in McAllen Hall, 108. I make myself available to our students. And so even if a student just want to stop by, because I, I remember one of the mentors one time said, Dr. Smith, I always saw you and you were an inspiration to me. Just seeing you as a black man on this campus. Absolutely. That's great. I never even being able to connect. He saw me from a distance. But that was inspiring. And I want our young men to know that. And young ladies, because my young ladies on campus are like, Dr. Smith, when are you going to do this for us? <laughs> but to know that my doors are always open and I'm always willing and open to um, creating and connecting with our our young people. Well, thank you so much, Vernon, for joining me today on the show. I was moved. You dropped some gems here. Leadership is service. That that was another one of your gems. That I, I just love the way you frame that leadership. Yeah. That's just great. Yep. Plenty of people got positions, but they're not leading. <laughs> this is so true. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today on this week in Black History Society and culture. Thank you. Take care.